what I do know is what Pastor John said. Uh, I know conflict, and you do too. Okay? All of us uh, have experienced conflict. So what I'm going to go through in the next four hours is, uh, is just some material that I've kind of, you know, summarized, you know, boiled down to, and then added, mixed around, whatever. So it's not all mine, um, and a lot of it's kind of, uh, you know, you guys know Peacemaker's Ministries, Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker. So, you know, there's a lot of brochures and stuff, people boil stuff down. So I just took some of those principles, and had we had gone through this as a church in Clodno, and I'd actually gone through it at English camp, as I think unbelievers have conflict, too. So we're going to talk about conflict. So uh, conflict the word actually comes from the Latin word conflictus, which means uh, the act of striking together. Okay? So, so relationally, conflict is when, when one, the will of one person comes in conflict, comes in contact with the opposite will of another person. Uh, you, sh- you, can, you can have a conflict over what's for dinner. You can have an, uh, a conflict over what is the gospel. You can have a conflict over where to go to church. You, know, you can have conflict over good things or difficult things, but conflict can be good and conflict can be bad. But all of us have conflict. We have conflict in marriage. Right? Unless you're a robot, you're going to have conflict in your marriage. Um, you can have conflict with your children. Okay? You can have conflict with your kids. You're going to have difficulties to work through. Um, you're going to have conflict even with your employer or maybe some employees. Uh, you're going to have conflict with your, your in-laws. Right? You're going to have conflict even in the church. And uh, Conflicts, you know, they're, they're uncomfortable. Uh, they can be stressful. They can be sorrowful. And they can even be costly. Okay? And we understand as well that, that unresolved conflict can be destructive. That if you don't resolve conflict in your marriage, it can lead to bitterness, anger, heartache, separation, divorce. And we could walk through every relationship that we don't have conflict resolution, that those relationships could go on for years and years and years, and they're defunctional, right? they're not functional, they're, they're, they're broken, and that could be with your parent, never was resolved, it can be with a sibling, it was never resolved, and you can live in marriage with unresolved conflict that just grows and grows bigger and destroys and leaves destruction and a path of destruction. So that's why conflict resolution is so important. And that's why biblical conflict resolution is so important because people, everybody responds to conflict. When there's a conflict, conflict's unavoidable. The question isn't can you avoid conflict, but what, what do you do and how do you respond? So some people, you know, they, they yell, they scream, they throw things. Uh, some people threaten, they threaten you. Some people give a silent treatment. And some people ignore the problem and they hope that it will go away. But for the believer, all those things, they're illegitimate. They're not acceptable. They're not biblical. They're not productive. They're not profitable. They're not fruitful. So the scriptures call us to resolve conflict in a way that honors God and brings about genuine resolution. Hebrews 12, verse 14. quoted that text last week a couple times. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And we emphasize the, the holiness that is of necessity to enter the presence of God. But he says, even first, he says, pursue peace with all men. Peace, conflict resolution, and holiness in your relationships are prerequisite to be in the presence of God. So we must be 
those who are pursuing peace with all men. And Romans also says, you know, as far as it is up to you, pursue peace with all men. So the Christian life demands it. Romans 14, verse 19 says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Romans 14, 19. And then uh, Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. In other words, yes, there are times when you just cannot, you cannot make peace. You cannot make it happen. So conflict resolution is detrimental for both parties. If the other party does not agree. So we're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about how God resolves conflict. And for resolution to, be, to come into our relationship between a holy God and a sinful man, there must be the pursuit of peace on both ends. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Right. So God's word commands us to pursue conflict resolution. But we know three things. First of all, conflict is not easy. Resolution is not easy, I should say. Conflict resolution is not easy. It's not easy to to calm ourselves down. It's not easy to figure out the path to peace. Uh, Secondly, we know that conflicts rarely go away on their own. I mean, major conflicts rarely go away on their own. And then thirdly, uh, most people don't know how to resolve conflict. So I grew up in a home where I experienced this, where one person would go, you know, ballistic and do all sorts of emotional, emotive, exasperating things, threats, and then the other person would just pretend like it wasn't happening, okay? And they were just passive and hoping that it would just fix itself uh, well, it doesn't. It just perpetuates itself and causes more conflict. In fact, when we have unresolved conflict, it spills over to other people around us. Our unresolved conflict in marriage will spill over to the children and in their conflicts. And it will spill over into their relationships with their spouses. And it will perpetuate itself and it can spill over into the church and in and, and employment. And so conflict is necessary necessary for God's glory and even for our good. Some of you guys have uh, lawns to mow, right? And the grass is growing and you want to cut it. But what grows in the grass? Right. The weeds. So you mow the grass, you chop off the weed, but then next week what's still there? The weed. You can chop it off, but it's going to keep growing back. And that's how a lot of people approach conflict resolution. Right? They chop it off with a lawnmower. You know, they do some unbiblical thing to, to chop it off. But then next week, next month, next year, it's growing back again. So our goal is to not just chop off the weed, but to, to root it out and to pull it out by the roots so that it doesn't grow back. People are seeking conflict resolution all the time around us. In fact, I would say it's a billion-dollar industry. It's a billion-dollar industry. What is, what is a lawyer? What is his, his job? It's conflict resolution. A psychologist, psychiatrist, divorce lawyers, marriage counselors. I mean, I mean, prescription drugs even to help people with their anger so they're not you know, going ballistic on other people. Right? I mean, books. If you go on Amazon and Google 
or just type a resolution or conflicts. I mean, a multitude of books. People are making millions of dollars on writing books and having seminars and giving counseling for conflict. Thousands, millions of dollars. And yet, all it does is chop off the weed and it grows back. So, how can we pull the weed? So, here are two main questions. <clears throat> if you're taking notes, here are uh, two main questions that we're going to ask in the next six hours. Number one, what is our normal response in conflicts? What is our normal response in conflicts? We'll go through that briefly. And then secondly, how can we practically seek to resolve conflicts among us? So what are our normal con responses in conflicts? So I don't want to go through this and spend a bunch of time on it. We're already aware. But there are really two categories of our responses to conflicts, unbiblical responses. The first is your escape response. Escape response. First is denial. Right? You can, you can uh, just deny and be in denial that there's a conflict. Um, and a lot of husbands are guilty of this. They see the problem. Um, it's just difficult to, to deal with, and so they don't want to deal with it, and they just pretend, wait for it to go away. And uh, those just things just make temporary relief and usually leave matters, make matters worse. Secondly is the flight response. Right? So you can just run away. You can, uh, you can end a friendship because of the conflict. You can quit your job. Because of conflict, you can leave the church, right, and run away from, from, because of conflict. I mean, there are a lot of different, different responses that people have in flight response. And the third, third route, the third escape response is suicide. This might fall under flight, but this is the ultimate final flight, suicide. When you become so bittered or so broken or so saddened, even maybe by a personal relationship, by a divorce, by a broken relationship that you, you take your own life. Okay? The second category are attack responses. So escape responses are passive. Attack responses, they're, they're active. So obviously the first would be uh, assault. Um, and I, I would take that to be physical or verbal. So you can physically attack somebody because they've wronged you, or you can uh, verbally assault them and belittle them and seek to destroy them with your tongue. Secondly, you, you can use litigation. So there's assault, there's litigation, number two. You can take people to court. You can seek to humiliate them uh, financially or ruin them, or you can seek to destroy their character in public through litigation. Uh, we know Christians are commanded, we'll talk about that later, but Christians are commanded to resolve things not in the courts, but in the church. And then thirdly, right, if, uh, if suicide is the passive response, then murder is the active response. You can actually take someone's life out of hatred. So, again, these are uh, the two categories attack, and, and run. Okay. Now, here's, I want to boil this down real briefly. I'm just trying to go quicker and just trying to get to the main things. Now, in all of these things, here is probably the root issue in our conflicts. And I speak from personal experience, and I think you can probably speak from personal experience as well. When you are in a conflict, 
What is your first response? Without even responding physically, without even responding verbally, when you're in a conflict, what are your first thoughts? And they usually are, you're wrong. Okay? It could be. It could be that person is wrong. Um, it's very well that you're also wrong. Now, I want you to think back to the garden. God gave very clear instructions to Adam. You can eat from any tree in the garden except for this one tree. Tell your wife this. Minister to her. Instruct her. Help her to put on her seatbelt by the roller coaster. She goes. Satan tempts her. She doesn't listen. And the text says that she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then we know the rest of the story. God comes in in the garden and says, Adam, where are you? What have you done? And Adam says, the woman that you gave to me, she gave to me, and I ate. So what did he do? You know, he blamed two people. He blamed God, and he blamed his wife. Now, this is, this is really the reflex reaction and response of all of us in our conflicts. We get in a conflict, and I blame my wife. I blame her. It's her fault. God, I don't know if I've ever said it, but I'm sure in, my, in, in the worst sinful times I've ever had, God, the wife that you gave to me, it's her fault we're having this. Right? I mean, everything was going fine. It's Saturday night. I got to preach tomorrow. Why are we having this stupid conflict? It's her fault. Doesn't she know that I have this big responsibility? Blaming God. Right? That's a quote from my own journal, I guess. I don't know. Okay? But it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a relative from my own experience. When we're in conflict, our fleshly response is to blame the other person. And this is what all sinful men do. And this comes down to, this is why there is conflict everywhere. And this is, more importantly, this is why there is unresolved conflict. Right? Because all we see is the other person's problem, sin, offense against me. Okay? Now, just to tie this part together, what should Adam have done? Think about this. What should Adam have done, first of all, when the snake came to tempt his wife? What should he have done? We know it. He should have got him a city, right? Dismembered the snake and protected his wife. Didn't do that. Failed. Took the fruit. Followed her into sin. Disobeyed God. Okay? When God came to the garden and said, Adam, what have, you, what have you done? What should he have said? I have sinned against you, Lord. I have sinned against you, and I want to make things right. I want to humble myself. I want to acknowledge my sin and what I have done. In fact, if you want to even step back and one, take one step back, if Adam... Have you ever thought about this? If Eve had sinned and Adam didn't, what should he have done? If it, his wife had taken the fruit and ate and sinned against God, and then Adam says, you have sinned against God, that is wrong, and then God comes and says, what has taken place? What should Adam have done? He should have, as the head, Father, my wife has sinned against you, and I know that the wages of her sin is death. But I ask you, in mercy to her, to punish me in her place. That's what the first Adam should have done. And he didn't do that. And that's why there's a second Adam. That is why the second Adam, that is why Jesus Christ came into the world. That's why he's called the second Adam. And he came in 
to a sinful world where everyone is blaming everybody else for their sin, for their problems. And the only righteous, perfect man went before the Father, between us, sinful man, and between him, holy God. And he said, Father, put the blame upon me. So here's the point. Jesus Christ resolved the greatest what of all? The greatest conflict. The greatest conflict of all was resolved on the cross. When Jesus Christ bore our sins that he was not guilty of in his body upon the cross. So how can we now as believers saved by the blood of the Lamb how can we now biblically resolve conflict? So let me give you some practical steps that we can all take that we all need to implement. Right? This is not this is not like directions for making a casserole. This is not easy. Conflict will always be difficult. Conflict will always be hard. Conflict will always take hard work, much prayer and tears. But but it can happen. And here are just some biblical principles and things to remember, things that we can do and implement as we seek to resolve conflict in our lives, in our relationships. Number one, glorify God. Glorify God. Why do we need to resolve conflict? The ultimate reason is to glorify God. We must pursue reconciliation for God's glory. When we lie, when we lie, the ultimate motive of confessing that lie is the glory of God. When we steal the ultimate reason for confessing that we have stolen is the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Word or deed, your words, your conflict resolution must be done to the glory of the Father, giving thanks to Him through Jesus Christ. Now think about this. This came to me this morning. Remember what Joshua said to Achan. You guys remember the story? Joshua 7. They're going in there to destroy Ai. And God says, destroy the city. Everything's under a ban. Take nothing. Destroy everything. One man took something. You remember, took gold and silver, took it back to his tent, dug a hole, and buried it. And the result of his sin was the death of the men the next day when they went out to battle again. So because of his sin, other men died. Their lives were forfeit. And so God says, Joshua, stop whining. There's sin in the camp. Deal with it like a man. Call all of Israel. Divides them up. Calls them into tribes. Divides up the tribe. Whittles it down to Achan. And this is what, this is what Joshua says to Achan when Achan's standing before him. My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to his name. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Give glory to God and speak the truth to me now. Achan needed to resolve the conflict by giving glory to God, by confessing what he had done. And those words are even more potent when you recall what happened after he confessed. You remember, he did not receive mercy. Him and his family were stoned. And God was glorified. Now we can praise God that when we deal with conflict with the pursuit of God's glory, we're not going to be executed. It may be painful, it may be humiliating, it may be difficult. But we're not going to die because Christ already has. But we must pursue his glory and 
put his honor first. So that is why we do all things. But this leads us to what we've already touched on. All right, so in the book, they have four G's. I added a, a five, fifth G. I added a second step, and you can laugh because I couldn't think of another G. But number two, second step, is gospelize yourself. Okay? Give glory to God. Secondly, gospelize yourself. Okay? Sounds silly, but what do I mean? I mean, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember why Jesus Christ came into this world. Now, now he says in John 17, 4, I, have, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. What was that work? What was the work he did? It was substitutionary atonement. That Jesus Christ went on the cross in our place and bore our sins in his body. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and which also you stand. He made note to them the gospel, and he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, according to the predetermined plan of God. Colossians 1.21 says, And though you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, although you were formerly in conflict and war against God, yet he has now reconciled you. He has brought you back into to right relationship with himself. Christ did that through his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. So how did Jesus Christ bring glory to God? By resolving the greatest conflict of all, by means of making the greatest sacrifice of all, by enduring the greatest punishment of all. And therefore, Paul says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? What do we have? Humor me. We have peace with God. We have laid down our puny little weapons that did nothing against God, and God has laid down his infinite wrath against man. So God has dealt with the greatest conflict of all, our hostility and sin and rebellion, and his righteous judgment against us. It is because now that we have been reconciled to God, so humor me again, it is because we have been reconciled to God that now we can be reconciled to who? One another. Man, so I don't have to remain in conflict with Amy. We don't have to remain in bitterness and in anger. We don't even have to pretend like there is no conflict because now we can say, you know what, we're sinful. We're prone to anger. We're prone to hostility even towards one another at times. There is conflict, two wills, two opposite wills. But we have to resolve it first for the glory of God. And we can resolve it because we have Christ. So, this is where our hope is, which means this. What, what do you have to have resolved if you're going to have resolution with one another? What do we have to have resolved? We have to have resolved our relationship with God. We must deal with our personal sin with Him. We must make sure, first of all, we're believers. We must make sure that even our conflict with this person isn't because of my sin against God. It could be that God has brought about this conflict because of my rebellion against Him. So we make things right with the Lord. Third step, the third G is get the log out of your own eye. Okay? We've already talked about this in the sense of the blame. But Christ says very clearly, 
Matthew 7, verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, these are strong, strong words. We've read them many times. We know them. And Jesus is not just simply name-calling, but he's identifying the sinful human response to sin against us. And it could be for two reasons. It could be very well that we have actually sinned against that very person that sinned against us. And he's saying, look, in this conflict, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your own. Or it could be that we have not maybe done anything to this person. And yet in our own self-righteousness, we are livid against their sin against us. And yet so benign in our sin against God. You see that? So it's not necessarily that Jesus is saying, okay, you've had a, you had a fight with your wife. You are most to blame. You know what? It could be that she's more to blame. It's very possible. But you need to remember, you have no right to be bitter and to be angry and to be hostile because her sin or against you or your sin against her right, is nothing in comparison to your sin against God. So Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye. So practically, you're in a relationship, in marriage, you're engaged, you're in a church or whatever, and there is conflict. The hardest thing to do is to believe that we're sinful. And the hardest thing to do when there are two wills coming into conflict is to believe that there may be a log that I need to pull out of my own eye. Um, Ken Sandy gives what he calls three kinds of logs that you need to deal with. What are the kinds of, of logs that we need to pull out? He gives three main planks, if you will. The first is sinful attitudes. Right? We have sinful attitudes. We have, we're judging or we're condemning. We're angry. We're hostile. Uh, secondly, we have sinful, harsh words. We say things that are meant to destroy. Listen to, to Proverbs 12, verse 18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So think about that. Think about that very vivid proverb. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword. So think of these words in your conflict. You're talking to someone. You're angry at them. They're angry at you. You're heated. And a sword is coming out of your mouth, and it is chopping off their limbs. It is puncturing you know, their abdomen, your words are going out and they're meant to slay, they're meant to inflict pain. And so when we have done that, we need to take the log out of our own eye. We need to deal with the sin. And then thirdly, there are sinful actions. So that could be not keeping your word, that could be not respecting authority, that could be not treating others as you want to be treated, that could be the litany of other things physical hostility, right? It could be uh, vengeance in your flesh, seeking to make things right for yourself and, in order, and trying to make them suffer. So when we're seeking to be resolving our conflicts, we need to be those who are ready to admit and pull out the log. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. Yeah? So, how can we kind of practically use some of these principles, right? We're still on number two, 
uh, number three, get the log out. But um, Ken Sandy gives under this point seven A's of confession. And I think these are helpful. Seven A's of confession. All right, when we're dealing with these sins, we're dealing with our own sin, we're trying to take a log out of our own eye. How can we go about this practically? Seven A's of confession. The first thing is address everyone involved. Okay? Address all those that, that, that have been a part of your sin. Your sin is spilled upon them. That could be just your spouse. That could be just your mom or your dad. That could be just your brother or your sister. Or that could be because uh, others saw the argument and saw the contention that you need to go to everyone. That could be the church. Okay? Address everyone involved. Secondly, avoid if, but, and maybe. Okay. In other words, put no conditions on your words. Right? You know, I did this because, uh, you know, I did this because, you know, you did that. Right? You know, you, you kind of like start off, you know how it is, right? You start off confessing, and I did this, and then all of a sudden, but you, you know, it's because you did this, and then I, I, I shouldn't respond that way, but you said that, and, and so you know, we're responding in the flesh. So avoid if. But maybe no conditions. Okay. Thirdly, admit specifically. Admit specifically. Right. And this would include both attitudes and actions. Okay. Not just, you know what, sorry. Right, we all know. What do we teach our children? We don't say sorry. We feel sorry. We're grieved over our sin before God. We're grieved over our sin. Yes, sorry. But we need to explain to people, I am sorry. And now I'm asking you to forgive me. Right? So admit specifically the sin. Admit specifically your wrongdoing in the conflict. Fourthly, acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge the hurt. And, uh, and it doesn't mean acknowledge your hurt. Acknowledge the hurt that you've caused to others. You know, expressing the sorrow that, that you've caused someone else because of your sin against them. Fifthly, accept the consequences. Okay? There are going to be consequences for our sin. It could be simple consequences where, you know what, you, you, you don't get to go to, you know, out with your friends, right? Um, it could be loss of privileges if you're a child, right? If you're an adult, it could be being fired for your job. You go to your boss, I stole from you, I wronged the company, and you're giving the money back, you know, you're going to lose your job. Okay, accept the consequences, it could be that your marriage is going to be tainted and destroyed or greatly broken down because you have been living a lie in adultery and now you go to your spouse and you tell them the truth knowing that they may want to leave you or despise you or at least knowing that you have ruined your marriage and that for the rest of your marriage, you will not be a trustworthy person, and you must do whatever you can to make it right, and be willing to accept all the consequences for the wrongs you've done. Okay? There are various levels, but we have to, before God, and in order to resolve conflict, accept the consequences. Sixthly, we need then to alter the behavior. This is logical. This is repentance. You know, alter your behavior. Biblically, we say repent. Turn away from that sin. Do not go back to it. And then lastly, we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to ask for forgiveness. And let me just say this real briefly. I think this could require probably a whole message on you know, forgiveness. It can get very complicated when you get into all the details. But I do think practically, when do we forgive somebody? 
Um, I, I believe biblically we forgive someone only when they've asked for forgiveness. I think there's a difference between forgiving somebody and loving someone. Love is unconditional. We love that person by sharing the gospel with them. We love that person by being gracious to them, even though they deserve a sword from us, even though they deserve prosecution from us, even though they deserve harsh words from us. Right? But we, we forgive those who come and ask for forgiveness. When does God forgive us? Right? When we come to him and humbly, when we confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all right. So what is the stipulation? What is the condition for forgiveness from God? It is confession. So if someone has wronged you, and you don't say, I forgive that person. You don't say that. Because unless they have come to you and asked, and they've confessed, they've done the seven A's, addressed you, right? Acknowledged, admitted. And now they're asking, please forgive me, brother. Please forgive me, sister. Please forgive me, sweetie, for what I've done, right? Now they can forgive you based upon that. But if you haven't humbled yourself, if you haven't asked for forgiveness, there is no forgiveness to be taken. So forgiveness is the result. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't love. We love people. We love even our enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. Right? Jesus loved his enemies. He didn't forgive all of them. He prayed, Father, forgive them. Right? I pray that these men will come. They will humble themselves and acknowledge that they crucified your son. And if you'd be merciful to forgive them. Okay? So, but we, we have to go through these seven steps of confession. And lastly, we need to ask for forgiveness. And then, fourthly, right, fourthly, we need to gently restore. Right? So, when this person has come now, they've asked for forgiveness. Right? We need to restore the relationship and accept the relationship. And we need to offer forgiveness because they have asked for it. Um, or it could be Matthew 18. It could be not that they even came to you first, but you went to them first. Right? You went to them and said, look, um, you've wronged me in this way. I'm confronting you. I'm making known to you your sin. And uh, now they have the opportunity either to confess it and repent of it, or they have the opportunity to run away and flee and look at the other categories that we, we spoke of earlier. But for us, one of the goals of Conflict resolution is restoration. And so let me just emphasize this. It's not about being right. right? So in our conflicts, in our arguments, spouses, children, whoever, we blame the other person and what do we want to be? We put the blame on them and we put the what on us, the righteousness. We want to be right. And so the goal of reconciliation, it cannot be about being right, but it's about being reconciled. And it's about restoring one another. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore him gently. Right? This is the goal of conflict resolution. It is to restore our relationship. It could be to restore a, a, another person's relationship with God and even with the church, with the family. Right? So our attitude should be one of gentleness because God has been gentle with us, and our attitude should be one of restoration, because God has restored us to himself. And even before we do that, we need to ask, even before we go through all these steps of conflict resolution, to ask, um, do I need to go through all these steps? Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. 
And so let me make a comment real quick on the Proverbs. The Proverbs are not promises, they're principles. We don't go to the book of Proverbs and find promises of life. Okay? We don't go to the, you know, um, uh, yeah, this is my point. You know, the, the Proverbs, they're not, they're not promises, but they are principles. Train up your child in the way he should go. That's what I was thinking of. Right? And in the end, he will not depart. It's not a promise that if you teach your child the gospel, that God's going to save them. It's a principle. Right? That you teach your children these things, and we hope by God's grace that through those normal means, he would do his work. Well, it's the same thing. So a man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. That's not a promise. That's not a command. It's not saying you have to overlook every transgression. Someone sins against you, whatever, you just overlook it. No, I'm going to obey the Proverbs. No, it's not what it's saying. There are times we need discernment. There are times when we must go to the person. We must confront them lovingly with the goal of what? Restoration. Okay? So how can we discern? Do I need to overlook this or do I need to go to it? Real briefly. As a general rule, an offense can be overlooked or should be overlooked if you can answer no to these questions. Is the offense seriously dishonoring to God? Is the offense seriously dishonoring to God? Okay. Has it permanently damaged a relationship? Okay. Is it seriously hurting other people? Is it seriously hurting the offender himself? And if you answer yes to these questions, just practical discerning questions, is it dishonoring to God? Is it greatly honoring, dishonoring to God? Has it permanently damaged a relationship? Is it seriously hurting the other people, and is it seriously hurting the offender himself? If you answer yes to these questions, then we need to go and we need to, we need to confront this person. And by the way, sometimes conflict is actually started by us, purposefully. That as a believer, we need to be willing to initiate and begin a conflict. Evangelism is a conflict. Right? You're confronting a person with their sin. Uh, Confronting someone their sin is going to start a conflict. And, you, you know, maybe that person's not going to respond well. They're going to be angry. But we need to be willing to do that. So this is, real quickly, how, what do we need to do before we go and start a conflict with somebody? You know, biblically, what do we do before we start resolution or seek to restore someone? We need to pray for wisdom. That's obvious. But we need to pray for humility and for wisdom because we know that we're sinful too. Uh, we need to plan our words carefully. We need to think through, okay, what is our approach? What are we going to say? Where am I going to do it? I mean, even where you're going to do it, it could be, it could be change their response. I mean, if you just walk up to them on Sunday morning and confront them in front of everybody, they're probably not going to be too happy, and they might not even respond truthfully. Okay? So we need to think about where we're going to do it. You know, if you just show up at a guy's office and confront him, it's probably not going to go well. If you text him, say, hey, brother, I have something to talk about, or you email him, say, brother, there's something I'd like to talk about. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'd like to meet with you one-on-one in person. Can we please get together? Right? And you think about, he has time as well to kind of be ready. It's like, hey, I wonder what, I wonder what Francis wants to talk to me about, man. That's, that's not good. So he starts thinking, so he's ready. Okay. Um, choose the right time and place, right? Choose the right time and place, profitable place. Uh, assume the best about the other person until you have the facts. Right? Maybe you need to ask him, right? Hey, brother, this is what I saw you do. I want to make sure I understood this right. This is what I heard you say. I want to make sure I understood the context right. Listen carefully. Right? Listen carefully, not to get heated. Um, and then recognize your limits. That in that conflict, you, can't, you cannot change the other person. Okay? You can't change that person. 
And so Jesus even tells us there are times you're going to go to that person, you're going to confront them, and they're not going to respond. So it gives us the next step. What do we do? We, to, we take someone else with us now. Right? We take someone else who's maybe involved and saw the conflict or someone else who's in leadership, and we go to this person now, and we lovingly say, look, brother, um, we talk, I talked to you. You didn't respond right. Now I'm coming according to the word of God with someone else. I want you to see this is very serious. We need to resolve this. And we pray that he'll respond by restoration is what we want. If he doesn't listen, right, third time, we bring it to the church. But we need to be, we need to be humble. We need to be patient. And we need to know and remember that God is the one who can change the heart, which would lead to, by his grace, the, the final step. And that is to go and to be reconciled. Go and be reconciled. Knowing that God calls us to forgive others the same way he's forgiven us. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive just as the Lord has forgiven you. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. So forgiveness is the means by which we forgive those who have wronged us. It may be that we both need to ask for forgiveness because of the conflict. But we just need to go through when we're having conflict and we need to, to instruct ourselves. We need to settle ourselves down. We need to pull back. And we need to remember, I need to glorify God. Why do I need to resolve this? I'm, I'm tempted to be passive. I'm tempted to just let it go. It's just easier to let it go. Just use a lawnmower and chop off the weed, but it's going to come back next week. I need to glorify God. I need to gospelize myself. I need to remember what God has done for me through Christ. The gospel is what will motivate me to go now and to, to seek, um, to, to, to resolve this conflict. And then thirdly, I need to get the log out of my own eye and to make sure, is there something I've done? Is this conflict the result of me or in the conflict that maybe was started by the other person? Did I respond sinfully? Did I have you know, a tongue like a sword? What do I need to do to get the log out of my own eye? Okay. What things do I need to do? And then fourthly, gently restore. Right? Seek to restore that person. Seek to restore your relationship. All right. Um, so those are, those are the steps we need to take. Those are the things that we need to do. Um, that's, a, that's pretty fast. And I showed it wasn't six hours by God's grace. Okay. So just go over these things. Let me just real last last things, four things here. Uh, what do we do at the very end, right? Um, sometimes we go through all the steps, and even the relationship seems to be uh, restored. Um, but what do we need to do? There are times, not every time, but I, I want to say this. There are four things that we need to do, probably. I will not dwell on this incident. Okay? I will not dwell on this incident. In other words, I'm not going to use this firepower in my heart against this person. Uh, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. Uh, I will not talk to others about this incident. And I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Okay? Now, those are, those are uh, practical principles, I think, that flow from the Bible. And I just want to make this final caveat. Uh, those are not just pat answers to every single conflict. There are conflicts that are going to have radical consequences upon the nature of your relationship. Okay? Which means that, you know... I'm just going to use the radical example, okay? If, if, if a spouse is unfaithful and they, they actually come and, and confess that and they deal with that and they, they work through that, the spouse can never say now, hey, you can never bring that up again. 
You can, you can never hold that. You can never talk about that. You have to just forget about it, and then we just move on like it never happened because I asked your forgiveness, I confess it to you, I asked for forgiveness, and you forgave me, and now it's over. No. There's consequences. You will have to work the rest of your life to earn trust with that person, with your spouse again. Okay? Or if you stole from somebody that had such great trust in you, it's going to take time for them to really trust you again. It will take time for you to earn that person's trust. So I want you to understand that this, I will not dwell on this incident. Okay, that's practically, most of the time, that's probably going to be true. Because most of the offenses are not life-damaging, relationship-destroying offenses. These are, these are principles for our everyday conflicts, right? Fighting on, you know, you, you didn't take the trash out, or, you know, you were, you were harsh with me just now. Okay, so as an as a overall principle, we can, we can say, okay, I'm not going to dwell on this anymore. I'm not going to throw dirt in your face. I'm not going to bring this back up against you. Right? I'm certainly not going to talk to others about this incident unless now I have to go and get someone else to bring it in because you've not. But if, this, if it's been reconciled, I'm not going to talk to others. And I'm not going to use and allow this incident to, to grow up and hinder our relationship as far as it depends upon me. I'm going to seek peace with you and do all that I can. So I pray that that's helpful. Um, you can read the big book by Ken Sandy, The Peacemaker. There are also some, um, some pamphlets you can get, you can download, and uh, you know, put that in your Bible or put that on your desk and just go through those things. So let me, just, let me pray, and um, I think it's lunchtime. So. Gracious God, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you, first of all, for the greatest conflict of all that's been resolved that you initiated resolution by sending your son, that you made him who knew no sin become sinner, about that we might become your righteousness. And you've called us to yourself. You've wooed us through Christ. And you've resolved the conflict. And we, by your grace, even by your prompting in our hearts and our lives, you showed us our sin. You showed us the log in our eye. And we came to you and asked you for mercy and asked you for forgiveness. And you, in your grace and mercy, granted it with, with full pardon. All of our sins have been forgiven. And it is because of what you have done for us through Christ that now we can practice that in our own personal relationships. We can now experience the grace of forgiveness. We can actually experience that great power that comes when we're able to forgive someone even though they've wronged us. It is a powerful thing. And I pray, God, that we would know that in our relationships, uh, marriage, family, church, uh, relationships with other believers around us, that we would know these things. Give us grace to apply them. And I pray even today that some of these things might even ultimately bring about some, some good change, some necessary change. I pray, God, for husbands specifically, that you would give us grace to resolve conflict, not with our flesh, not with our, uh, the ways we do things, either through just our aggressiveness or our passiveness and acting like the first Adam, or just blaming it, blaming the wife, blaming the other person. But I pray that we resolve these things as Christ did, who was willing even to take the responsibility on himself, though it was not his to bear. Thank you, Lord Jesus, what you did. And help us, even as men, to follow your example, to be peacemakers in the home, to be peacemakers in the church, and be peacemakers in the world. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We just pray you bless our lunch now. We thank you in Christ's name.